Ag State of Mind, episode 89. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast. As always, I am your host, Jason Meadows, and we are brought to you by the Global Ag Network. Today, we welcome back our friend Sam Goldberg of Silo the Film. If you're following along, we chatted with Sam last year about Silo and the impact that it had made in the time since it's released. And as many of you know, this year has changed so much about the world. And we chat about that with Sam and about how Silo and himself have been impacted by this year. And we also chat a little bit about a new project that Sam has in the works that is dealing more with the mental health side of agriculture. So I am super excited for Sam and I'm excited for this new conversation with Sam. I always say it the second time on the podcast is the best. I I feel like um, we haven't had anybody for a third time, but uh, the second conversation on the podcast is always just so much more in depth. And I appreciate that and appreciate Sam and really excited for all the things that he has going on. Um, Find him at silothefilm.com. We talk about that again at the end. Before we get started, though, I would like for all of you guys to go find us on social media. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Give us a like. Give us a follow. And screenshot this episode and share it with the people whom you follow. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Appreciate to the, get the word out that way. Um, really excited for this episode because I just I love talking to Sam. Um, Stay tuned at the end of this episode. I am going to talk to you a little bit about something I've got this coming week on Clubhouse. So um, I don't want to take up any more time and get to the episode with Sam. So here we go. Stay tuned after the episode for that. Sam Goldberg, welcome back to the Ag State of Mind podcast. It's been too long, my friend. Thanks for having me, Jason. We spoke about a year ago and right after right after we got off our call my wife walked in the room and told or we had just gotten our offer accepted so wow wow that just brought me back i just thought of that as we were well what i just thought made me think of what i thought of about it being a year ago is it my wife and i took a trip on memorial day weekend last and that's when you sent me the link to watch silo so i mean (laughs) what a like what a great day to be talking to one another, you know, and all the things, you know, bringing back all the memories. It's, uh, it's really great. Wow. It's always good to have some sort of context, but you and I think we have connected a few times between then and now, but uh, it's definitely interesting to see how much our lives have changed in the last year. I know you, you've had a lot of stuff right, go on yeah. too. So let's talk about you talk about what's changed with everything. Mostly with, I mean, your, your, your life has changed, but also silo has become bigger as well. So let's, let's chat about all things. Well, yeah. I mean, the last time you and I connected was a couple of months into the pandemic. Right. 
Uh, I had moved out of New York City with my family and we were at an Airbnb in a suburb of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, looking for a home to purchase that had some agricultural opportunities, but also wasn't too far from New York City where we you know, still hang our hats and have a lot of friends and family and business. And at the same time, we had just begun doing virtual silo events. I think our first event was right before we chatted. We did one at the Jeeps Exchange, the Grain Elevator and Processing Society. And that was our first virtual silo event. And it went great. And it spawned a lot of you know, virtual events. We've probably done 50 between May 2020 and, uh, and now, you know, uh, June 2021. And so... It was a really interesting time the last year. Not only did we move and kind of start to pursue our dreams of getting into farming and living in a rural area, but also five months ago, I connected with a buddy of mine in the film industry named Dan Berger, and he decided that his company was going to acquire Silo for worldwide film distribution. And traditionally, you know, what we were doing, not traditionally, what we were doing non-traditionally with Silo is we were self-distributing the movie. We were, I was on every sales call and I was talking to every Farm Bureau member, every FFA advisor, every co-op member, every farmer saying, hey, like, do you want to license a DVD and an educational curriculum and do an event? And that's not usually what happens in the film industry. Usually there's an intermediary who, like many businesses, distributes your product. You know, they have the retail relationships with movie theaters or iTunes or Amazon or broadcast television and that space i knew nothing about but i knew if i called you know dale dobson in kentucky and said hey dale do you want to do a screening of silo he'd say yes and so uh we were lucky to kind of get this new company on board five months ago and they opened up like the whole universe of movie viewing to us because they got us on all these platforms and uh and may 7th we did a wide release it's called a day and date release not only were we in 220 movie theaters, which is unprecedented for a movie of our size and a movie as niche as ours about a grain entrapment incident, which is sort of unheard of in the vast majority of the country, but also uh, we released on Amazon and iTunes and Google Play and Fandango Now. And it's just been a wild few weeks and we've had, I don't know, best estimate is 50,000 people have already watched the wow. film. So we're, we're, we're just continuing to pick up steam and have more momentum around the movie. So, you know, as always, just grateful I get to do what I love for a living and that people are actually watching this film. So here's how I envision how it's went. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. The first go around when you were having these events, the first in-person, then virtual, they were being attended by folks within agriculture. And so that was, you were hitting that right out of the gate but then now with this new thing i feel like you're probably hitting a lot more folks outside and almost bringing awareness to a problem not just a problem but the whole lifestyle to people who are not familiar with it in some cases at all is that Definitely. is that is that pretty accurate assessment of how it's gone very accurate i mean it's i'd say it's three-pronged for one, more people in agriculture now get to see it. You know, we had a lot of people email us, hey, nobody's doing a community event in my town, or I don't get good enough Wi-Fi for a streaming event. How can I watch Silo? And those people bought a DVD 
or they went to a movie theater, you know, 50 miles away, Okay. Uh, you know, in rural North Dakota or Wisconsin or, you know, in a variety of places. So thankfully the ag base broadened. Um, then we brought in the fire rescue community, right, which right. has always been, well, it's always been passionate about silo, but we made a partnership with the national fallen firefighters foundation who are an amazing nonprofit who support the families of firefighters who died in the line of duty. And they just, blitz this out there and we're giving a portion of proceeds to them and the fire rescue community came on board in a way that wasn't previously possible and exactly like you're saying now you know my cousins in new york city and friends in los angeles and chicago and miami and wherever else and we've had tons of people watch the movie in australia sweden england canada so it's it's you know it's everywhere now and movie just moviegoers are watching it you know not just people passionate about farm safety or mental health or fire rescue it's just the broad spectrum of people who like movies well because it's a good movie like i mean it's it, it's a <laughs> I, you know i mean it is very like you say niche but i en- thoroughly enjoyed the film you know so i mean it's it's good acting it's uh it's good substance to it so yeah i could see why people outside of agriculture would enjoy it because it's a good movie it's a good storyline everything just is really heartfelt i think so uh, yeah I, i'm i'm happy that more people are seeing it even you know especially people outside and bringing awareness to all these things yeah, and that's the that's always been the idea, Jason. Honestly, it, the whole reason I got involved in this movie, you know, it wasn't farm safety at first. You know, it was really more about how do we use the film to build a bridge between parts of the country that don't speak the same language right now. Right. Um, and sometimes that's rural to rural. You know, sometimes sure. it's in a thousand person town where the kids in the FFA chapter don't even know the difference between corn and soybeans. Like that, that happens, you know, it's not just naive city kids like me who knew nothing, it's, you know, it's, it was in me. It spoke to me. I mean, I'm not a grain farmer. Uh, we have very little grain from where I, where I'm at. Um, I didn't understand what happened uh, as far as grain storage and, hmm. you know, him talking about, uh, what do you say? Like, grain bin the grain bin five has gone sour or whatever he said i i didn't know that that happened i i had no idea grain like fans in the bins were a thing i just you know you don't do if you don't deal with it you don't know so mm-hmm. i i found i i found myself like learning too and the char- characters were so convincing as as real farm families that yeah it it, it really really illustrated and painted a really great picture Thanks. Yeah. I, I can't take too much credit for it. I mean, Jason Williamson, who wrote the script, you know, he was just tireless in his research mm-hmm. and he and I are researching, developing another movie now also about ag and the questions he asks farmers when we're on their farms. I'm like, man, you really know how to get into the psychology of people. You really know how to ask that really nuanced question so that you write down what would this person say in this circumstance so that when somebody says it in the movie, it feels authentic. And so if you're, if you know nothing about agriculture, it'll feel authentic, but if you know a ton about it, you won't roll your eyes. And And, you know, that's a tough balance to strike. Sometimes It is. It absolutely is because I know if I watch a show about, especially when it has to do anything about agriculture, 
I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but if anybody's watched Yellowstone and the opening episode of Yellowstone where they pull the calf is the most fake, never going to happen that way thing I've seen in my <laughs> life. And I don't, you know, like, I don't want to, like, call, say anything out loud, but it really bothered me. You know, things like that bothered me. And my wife's a nurse, so, like, medical dramas drive her insane you know uh, like oh, she's always like uh, it doesn't happen that way you know <laughs> i mean i don't but but like obviously i couldn't i felt none of that in in silo so uh, we had we have uh there are two things in the movie that i won't say because why would i say them but there are two things in the movie that are a little bit like if you're paying close attention you're like mm, that doesn't make so much sense but thankfully they're not glaring right they're like wait a minute but other than that, yeah, I hear you. It's funny. Somebody just mentioned Yellowstone to me. Really? In terms of, uh, it was another thing about the the herd all ate a certain kind of wheat and got bloated and died, and and this farmer was like, "That's not what would happen." What would happen? Yeah. No. no. <laughs> I know. But you know. I, we can we can smack talk them a little bit because honestly they're not suffering for viewership exactly you know? yeah I mean nobody's I, I, gonna I you and I talk there, it's not gonna, even if even with the things it's not gonna it's not gonna just yeah and it's a really I've watched I've watched some of that show it's really compelling and really fun to watch so yeah, yeah right <laughs> so back to what we were talking about and the response what is you know what is more the response that you're getting from people both inside of agriculture and on the outside are is anybody and i'm actually more interested in what people on the outside are saying because of this perceived divisiveness that is going on right now between rural and urban and i wonder if there's you know anybody kind of looking to like bury some bury some hatchets here uh because of that because of what they saw in the movie Definitely. I mean, I had a friend text me last night who finally watched it and he was, he was just really interested in the minutia. He was like, wait, so the older man, you know, he, it seems like he has dementia and maybe he was going to press that button. That button was called, that's the auger. Like he actually was just so interested in the mechanics of it. Right. Which you could dive deeply on that. Like people, people from New York, like they're like my friends, they're so interested in the concept of these grain tubes. They're like, why can't they just pull them out of the corn? Or like, well, how do those tubes work? How do they get them in the bin? Like the, the logistics of it, the procedural elements of it are fascinating to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, from just a cultural perspective, we've definitely had such a good response. Like even from reviewers like the LA Times, the Austin Chronicle and Austin, Texas, who've been like, this is a movie worth seeing. It really gives you a sense of the pace and the day that happens in the life of a grain farmer. Sure, it's a day that went wrong, but even the first 20 minutes of the movie where you just see the day in the life of a grain farm, it's just an eye-opener and it's an empathy builder because you're like, oh, that's just how other people live. I also get up for work and drink coffee. I also have an issue with my son Mm -hmm. and teenager. Like these are just very common things. It's not all about the big picture stuff. And that's the window that we have to open into other people's stories in general, and that's the power of movie making. So I'd say, On the whole, we've had a fantastic response. Even a couple of people who negatively reviewed the movie have said it's a worthwhile watch just from a this is important to see perspective. So that's been great. Like, and I'm actually, I just um, wrote an op-ed for for a really cool, like, 
a really cool online magazine, like a big one that's hopefully going to come out soon. And it's like a very liberal leaning blog. And it's about my experience spending time in rural America and now living in rural America and just trying to put a voice and an, and like an honest perspective on that. Not like a, nothing's rah-rah, nothing's perfect. No matter where you live, there are flaws, right? But it's just more about destigmatizing certain preconceived notions that people have. So that's been obviously great. And that's always been the goal. From the ag perspective, the fire rescue perspective, I'm consistently blown away by the positive feedback. I, you know, it's kind of thing when you work as an entrepreneur, sometimes you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm sure you, you know, you've had this as a cattle farmer, as a pharmacist, as a person, as a husband, like life sometimes conditions you for the other shoe to drop. And I'm always, I'm waiting for someone to get angry. Honestly, the feedback is so universally positive. People messaging us on Facebook, emailing us, thanking us, personal notes in the mail. It's really, you know, the movie is like a movement and we're, we're trying to harness that energy and make sure that silo is more than just a company that's trying to get you to buy a film. Mm -hmm. We're trying to see, okay, if we have a voice in agriculture, that's unique from like the storyteller city perspective, how do we continue using our platform to do a positive thing for the industry? Whether that's making another movie, whether that's making ancillary content around silo, whether that's doing some sort of symposium one day around how does, you know, the ag industry market itself. Like I'm interested in these subjects now because I'm a curious person and because silo has given me such incredible access and intimate access to the industry. Like I don't want to squander that. And I want to get the most out of it. You know, I want to get the most out of it financially. I want people to watch the film and I want it to do well financially. You know, it's what I do for a living, but also just socially, you know, and film the opportunities to do good. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand where you're getting from. And it, it does. You have incredible momentum and it's something that I definitely, just from a selfish standpoint, I want you to continue because I want to see more cool stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I've got to figure out my my beef movie on next. Yeah, next that's third. yeah, that's what I'm waiting for next. <laughs> I have a far, I have a farmer here, 15 minutes away. They're awesome. They've got uh, 50 head of cattle, and I buy my my beef from them. I buy my uh-huh. steaks and my uh-huh. hamburger patties, and it's so good. Yeah, uh, and they're always like, "Come on, come on, shoot!" I was like, "I don't have a story yet, but like, we'll we'll get there." We'll sure, get there. sure, <laughs> yeah, and it is, and it's um, and that's what's really cool, I think, about the ag industry is. It's it's broad, but at the same time, it, it can be narrowed down so much. I mean, what happens on a 50 head beef operation in eastern Pennsylvania is much different than what would happen on a big grain farm in the middle of Iowa. But there's still but there's still relatability there. And that's it. it, it I mean, sometimes they don't like from the outside, you don't think that they are related, but they are. And um, it's a really hard thing to like tell people about from my perspective anyway but obviously there's some relatability because i felt all that things in the movie about a grain entrapment when that is not my life whatsoever but the rural Mm -hmm. fire department and the family dynamics within a farm more things i'm sure but those are the two things that really get on i'm getting on the top of my head Uh, you know there's such a relatability to it and i think that's what makes it so special and well, on that, I appreciate you saying that. And I just, you know, I listen to your podcast. Like to me, I'm most interested in the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. I think that is the ultimate commonality, right? Like family farms, which make up over 97% of American farms, less than eight employees, 
they're startups, right? They're startup businesses, tiny startup businesses, some bigger than others, but they're small startup businesses. Any family run business is interesting to pay attention to. There are such complex dynamics that everybody can relate to. And so even when you were saying, even a 50 head cattle farm here in Eastern PA and a 50 cattle farm in Missouri, right? Like right. totally even different. Those, yeah. Even those are going to have totally different dynamics. And right. so it's the human parts of it that, you know, I find most interesting. And, you know, Jason too, who are working with together on, on other projects. Like, you know, most of what we do when we develop a script is just explore the psychology of human beings. Mm -hmm. We just dig what would make them make this decision? What's the surface decision? And what is the deep emotional reason they make that surface decision? And then how does that affect X character? Then what would that character do? And that makes up the plot of the movie. Those are your building blocks. And so that's what makes agriculture so special is it's a family business. And it's the oldest family business in the world. So if we don't understand it and respect it as just a society, then you know a lot of things I think start to fall by the wayside. And I think that's already happened not to be you know, down on American culture or anything. But I think like well, some of the issues we have are sometimes a lack of respect for what it takes to put food on the table. And then sometimes what it takes militarily, like people who go and they serve for this country, you know, we're coming off a of Memorial Day and like, yeah, like we, we have to have a touch point with these people because they are the ties that bind communities. Without them, there is no country, there is no society, there is no food protection, borders, like, all this stuff. Right. Like we just, we just need certain groups of people, you know, more than we need certain other industries. And it's really important. We respect them and empathize with them. You could disagree with certain practices sure. and you could disagree with political stances, like hundred percent, but you have to have a respect, respect. for the day-to-day -day grind. Yep. Absolutely. No, I, I, that's just, I mean, that's what I try to get across to people. I mean, you can disagree a hundred percent, but respect, you know, there's and it's, it's a lot of banter online and otherwise, I'm that's that's what I'm seeing is just a total lack of respect. And I find that that needs to be it, that needs to be restored to the core fabric. It's it's super easy to disrespect people from behind a screen. Right. Super easy. Right. Get face get face to face with somebody. I mean, I look back at my own Twitter feed from eight years ago and I was like, what was I doing? <laughs> I, was like, I was like making cultural statements. I was talking about the political elections and like I'm, I still agree with some of my points, but I was like. This is not a forum for me to express these opinions. If I need to connect with somebody or if I want to connect with somebody on the other side of the aisle in quotes, or somebody who has a different, you know, you know, some, there are subjects that I'm super liberal on and there's subjects that I'm super conservative on. And I wouldn't want somebody judging me as a whole person by one, one of little those things. Things. I know right? I, that, that gets me too, you know, because I'm the same, I'm very similar to you and, um, and it probably will surprise some people is I am very liberal on a lot of, on not a lot of things, but several things, but like if someone would put me in a box based on a certain either conservative or liberal, that would just totally miss what all what I am all about. And it, 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 it kills me that that is what uh, it's kind of been reduced to. And, you know, it's what, that's the blessing and curse of, of how we tend to interact now. And, um, you know, we can connect with everybody, but on such a shallow level. Yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes it can go deep. You know, there right, are right. So, social media can have, but I think it's increasingly more difficult to be balanced this day and age. Mm -hmm. It's harder to make money. It's harder. You know, most people don't have 401ks the way they used to. 
you know, prices of products go up, but wages often stagnate. And uh, it's sometimes harder to be proactive and balanced. Like I, my wife and I just talk about it constantly. So I feel like I'm balanced in my social media use. I know why I'm posting something on Facebook from a silo page. And I know when I need to stop scrolling, but sometimes I just scroll endlessly and I'm like, oh my God, my brain is, (laughs) what am I doing? So I I talk about it, but I'm a victim of it too. And I'm, and I'm, can be even a hypocrite within it, but it's just all about balance. And it's not, it's not so easy to be balanced nowadays. People are, are forced to juggle a lot. Sometimes people choose to juggle a lot, but I do find that just because the state of the economy and, you know, the middle class, like these kinds of things that are like real issues, like it's, it's hard to balance as much as it used to be. Yeah, no, it really is. And I don't know the solution to that. And, you know, who's going to listen to my solution to it anyway? But, <laughs> I'll listen. I'll listen. <laughs> but I mean, there, there is, there's a, you know, I think just, I think what we need to do is start treating people as if we see them in real life. Right. Well, I, I'm super passionate about going local. Like that's why we moved to where we moved. Like, first of all, you can have incredible community in New York city. Like we knew mm-hmm. our block. We knew our block. We knew our pharmacist. We knew the liquor store owner down the corner. We knew the bodega. We knew our neighbors. You can build community anywhere. I think it's about trying to make sure that you've really, like I worked on a documentary eight years ago called Web. Mm-hmm. And it was about the impact of the internet on, on children and on indigenous cultures. And we interviewed a lot of experts in, on the internet. And one of the statistics that was pretty staggering was that today, the average person knows 18% of the names of their immediate neighbors. And in the 1960s, it was like 95%. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge indicator, right? Like I have a thousand Facebook friends, but I don't know the people who live in the homes around me. That's a disintegration of community. Mm-hmm. And that community also gives you purpose. It gives you comfort. It gives you a security blanket. And so we, I really believe we have to master local before we go global or national or state. And I, I'm just a huge believer in that uh, when it comes to food, when it comes to friends, when it comes to a lot of different subjects. I like that. Master local first. Yeah. I've, you know, if that's why I've found like my efforts try, you know, cause you do, you want to help as many people as possible with whatever you do. And, but, but I found out when my efforts are more concentrated, you have a bigger impact on the people who are, you're actually trying to help. Yeah. And, and on top of that, first of all, and you then can, it can def- go from there. Yeah. And you could definitely have a megaphone and a podcast and a TV show and anything else that helps people who aren't next door to you, but you don't want to do it at the expense of that. Right. You know, like you want to make sure that the people close to you get some measure of your attention. And I think that is a lot of what Silo the movie is about. Like the film is fundamentally about community and about how miscommunications and a lack of dialogue actually contribute to this accident people just aren't spending enough time to connect with each other and because of that unwinding an accident actually happens right Um, and so it's a little bit of a cautionary tale on that front as well as just like farm safety practices but that's some of the that's like a lot of what i've learned personally about the movie again like i'm not perfect i don't do all these things but i'm i'm trying as best as i can um and you know my my medium of choice is film and i think that that's kind of my special sauce like that's the thing that i'm good at so mm-hmm. i'm going to try and do the thing that i'm good at and then hopefully that'll impact people as well yeah so. sure so let's talk about what you have in the works mm-hmm. i i put out a question 
you know, or like a free form to people in our in my private Facebook page. And the overwhelming majority of people are want to know what your next video is or what your next film is. And is it going to be around mental health? Yes, it is very specifically. And I don't want you to obviously divulge too much. Um, yeah, well, we. So as I mentioned, we're really interested in family dynamics in mm -hmm. agriculture. And uh, while working on Silo, I had a multitude of people ask if we could focus on the subject of farmer suicide mm. uh, and delve into that space uh, through, the, through the prism of sort of narrative filmic storytelling. So can we use, you know, like we, we, these things, you know, to break it down, right? Can we put a camera on actors? And can they act out scenes that represent what it would be like to live in that circumstance? You know, that's what we do with Silo. Can we put ca cameras on actors who are going in the middle of a grain entrapment? So for this, it is, can we put cameras on actors that are depicting life in the wake of a suicide? And we asked ourselves, like, what's, okay, can we do that? What's the responsible way to do that? And Jason, the writer of Silo, uh, came up with an incredible idea. And I don't want to put the plot out there fully sure, yet, sure. but it is going to be about a, a dairy family okay. uh, that is trying to rescue the farm after the patriarch has committed suicide. Uh, but it takes place after that action. So we meet them. They meet them sort of not right after they're picking up the pieces. We're meeting them with enough distance that they're starting to think about what comes next because dairy existentially is in a horrible place. 50% yep. uh, of American dairies since 2003 have gone bankrupt and are out of business. Yep. So half of all of them. It's a, it's a business going extinct uh, from the family side. And it's, it's, you know, you talk to dairy farmers and the level of dedication and the pride, you know, it's very similar to other facets of agriculture and other types of ag, but dairy is unique. Mm -hmm. I'll say to yep. in my, from what I've spoken to people, even people in your position, you know, it's like, you know, you have to have a certain, you have to have a certain mentality sure. to be in dairy. And it's like most things passed down generation to generation. And it almost is more a rite of passage than a choice, which is so much of, of, of ag, but even more in dairy. And so we're diving deeply into that subject. Now I actually just came back from a dairy farm around the corner here in PA and a, a new dairy, uh, a oh, girl wow. that uh, a young woman in her twenties who, you know, her parents farm in Jersey uh, she's uh, leaving that farm and starting her own business um, and doing just a small direct to market milk sale. And uh, we just picked her brain for a few hours and it's, it's going great. I think the narrative and the plot of this movie are so compelling. I am, I cannot wait to see Jason's outlining it actually this week uh, for me to look at the first outline, which is basically just like a synopsis of what sure. the movie could be. And then he's going to probably start writing the script in, in mid June and, from there, I don't know when we'll make the movie. I know that I personally need a bit of brain space to do this and like to catch my breath. I've been working on Silo full time for more than five years now. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a sprint, a really long sprint. It's not even a marathon. I'm just sprinting for five years. Uh, and in the meantime, I got married and had a baby and moved. And so uh, life is catching up with me and I feel good and I feel healthy and happy. But I think in order to make this next movie as good as it can be, I need a breather. So we're going to work on the script. We're going to tinker. We're going to get advice. We're going to send it out to people. We've been speaking with, you know, do you know Ted Matthews by chance? Sure. Yeah, I've been on a couple panels with Ted. Uh -huh. Yeah, Ted's amazing. So we've been connecting with Ted about, 
you know, farmer mental health. And we've connected with one or two other experts and a lot of farmers and a couple of other sort of farmers who've done like value add or retail businesses mm-hmm. from dairy to something else. Cause that's sort of what our movie is going to tackle. Sure, and yeah. The, the dairy turns into something else. So it's going to be really, really powerful. Um, I don't know exactly when we're going to make it. My gut tells me second half of 2022 or first half of 2023, we'll physically go out and shoot the film, but you never know. Like sometimes an amazing script comes in and you just, Right. It's undeniably good and you got to get working on it. it. So sure. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. When opportunity knocks. Well, that's really exciting. And to me, the through this podcast, the thing I've learned the most about is within the agriculture industry is dairy. I think I'd kind of given it a bit of an afterthought before because, I mean, there just aren't any dairies around here anymore. And I just didn't really think about it, but to think and, and 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 even me even me as a cattle producer you know i saw the you know you see all the milk substitutes in the store and that didn't even affect my logic of how much that was going to impact an industry that is uh, you know really very similar to i mean it's an animal product I mean, it comes from a bovine i mean it's very similar to the beef industry that didn't even register with me until I started this uh, podcast. And um, uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm not thankful that all the stuff is happening to dairy, but I am thankful that I have become aware of it. And I, I think that is a really great place for you guys to go with this next project, especially with dealing around mental health, um, because that's to me, I think that's the sector that needs it the worst and it needs yeah. it to be highlighted uh, or it's the probably the most appropriate place for it to be highlighted. Oh, yeah. I, well, thanks for saying that. I, I also think it's a good it's a good hook for people because people have a very idyllic sense of dairy. Yeah. yeah. The big black and white cow and you milk the cow and you're out there just hanging out in your overalls like it is so difficult, it's so um, difficult. And, and and the community the community support for dairy has just withered away yeah. it just isn't it, it just isn't what it used to be even before i was born is when it probably was last in an easier state you know not in the farm crisis of the 80s but before that and um, you know your podcast is ag state of mind and this is this is what we try and excavate. This is what we try and explore as artists, Jason and myself. What is the state of mind of a character, of a human being doing this particular thing every single day? And this particular thing, dairy, you know, milking at four and four or two and two or six and six, 365 a year, seven days a week, the whole kit that is a that is a profound responsibility, a really challenging thing. It's also so earthy, right? Like farmers are so beautifully attached to their land, you know, where they live, where they are. The physicality of that job is so interesting to me. And then, you know, Mother Earth and cows and female cows and milking and birthing and calving, all of it is the cycle of life. You know, it's just so in your face. And if you stop and look at it through the prism of a film, wow, it's an interesting subject. So I am, I'm very confident people from all walks of life are going to watch this next one. And, you know, we, we did it. I'm so proud of Silo, but it was the first movie I'd ever made. You know, I made mm-hmm. short films. I never made a feature. So all the mistakes I made on Silo, you know, I, I made, I kept a note of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got my, uh, 
silo, uh, I won't use the word, but my silo blank ups. <laughs> uh, I've got my doc and, um, and I, I'm going to reread it soon so that I uh, am careful not to step on those landmines again. Well, that's great. Well, I mean, I think I can speak for anybody who has seen silo, not even people who've seen silo. I mean, I've talked to people who um, have just are just excited and haven't even seen the movie. They they know the response and have felt the response and the response around it is so palpable. To see something else come out in the same breath as that is is really really exciting. And I'm I'm super super stoked for it. Thank you. I mean, you know, Jason, you know, if it weren't for you and for other friends of ours, you know, in the ag media space, you know, our movie would be a blip on the radar. You know, we, you've given me a great platform, you know, a lot of other people, you know, Margie Alanese and Rob Sharkey sure. and yeah. Minnesota millennial farmer and then, you know, progressive farmer success. Like we've had such a tailwind, you know, people have really come out and just, and just got gone to bat for this little movie of ours. I mean, we're really a small film. Like, right. Silo's budget is really, really small. And we have an investor group who were stood behind us. And I'm trying to make them their money back, just tooth and nail. And they want to invest in the next one. So I want I want, you know, it's it's just been an amazing experience. And yes, yeah, sometimes I guess it takes an outsider. You know, I'm I'm a New York I'm a New York City kid. I Definitely some of the people I met initially, like had an eyebrow up, like, <laughs> I could imagine. What, are you, like yeah. what is the story you're about to tell about? <laughs> like, what kind of like, you know, yeah. what kind of like socially elite crap are you about to tell <laughs> on my plate? But, you know, we, we came in earnestly and martial art director, Jason, our writer, our actors, like everybody just came to play. And it's now, you know, we're now, I'm now in my seventh year working on the That's film, great. five years full time, seven years part time. And uh, it's totally changed my life. So yeah. I'm super grateful for what it's done for me personally. And, uh, you know, now my daughter gets to grow up on eight acres of land and really understand the seasons and nature. And we got a fox den burrowed out there and we're watching the baby kits go to the creek with their fox, you know, with their mama or what do you, what do you call fox? Uh, female fox, it's a vixen. vixen. But yeah, the vixen yeah, yeah. going over to the creek and, you know, it's it's very different than the concrete jungle in New York City, but I'm proud of both places. Uh, but I think it was time of life for us to kind of you know charter in some un, un, unknown waters. So it, it, we're we're going to the end here, but you you kind of struck something and something that I don't know if we really touched on the last time we talked because you know you were looking to move rurally the last time we recorded a podcast, but now you've actually been living it. I mean, seven years ago or whatever it, it was when you started Silo, I mean, did you think, I mean, because that's a huge, I mean, it, it changed the trajectory of your life. I mean, I don't think that's a stretch to say that at all. I mean, can you oh, yeah. even like, can you even put into words what, what it's been like? Well, Jason, I was a ride or die New York City guy. Uh -huh. Like I grew up in Manhattan. I love the New York Knicks and the Rangers and I love Central Park and I love getting on the subway and hearing 20 different languages and seeing 20 different ethnicities. And, you know, I love going to Broadway and I have friends of all stripes, you know, like we're, you know, we just, we, we like diversity. We pursue sure. diversity in sure. all its forms, sure. economical, racial, religious, sexual, mm -hmm. like, you know, we just like connecting with people. And if we like people, it doesn't matter who they are, what they are. I never thought I'd leave New York City ever. 
And something has happened existentially for me over the last seven years. And I'd say, I, I'd say three things have happened. One is I basically spent my whole life honing one muscle, my brain, mm-hmm. maybe my fingers typing, mm-hmm. but my brain. And it's been, you know, liberal arts education and learn and read and write and, you know, but it hasn't been physical. And I personally want to get handier. I want to be able to fix things myself. I just want to flex that muscle, mm-hmm. not just for my own self-worth um, and for my own evolution as a person, but also so my daughter grows up being like, oh, I see a problem. I can fix it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to call somebody. New York City, amazing in a million different ways, but I got to call the superintendent of the building right. and they got to right. come and they got right. um, to help me out. Right. And like, sometimes it's a masquerade. So that's one. Two is like I said, I think uh, we are we are urbanizing at a rapid rate as a species. You know, 20% of America, 20% of America is rural. The other 80% are suburban and urban. I believe that we are having environmental change. And I think those changes are happening on a local and global level. Mm -hmm. All right. I think a huge fix for that is going local and being close to nature and understanding nature and empathizing with nature and getting that. If you can build what you need around you, if you have some chickens, some goats, some sheep, some cattle, if you can grow your own vegetation, fruit, herbs, or at least if you have it in your neighborhood and you don't have to drive a long way to get it or even go to a grocery store sometimes to get it, that is the healthiest thing for our planet. Like mother nature needs to rejuvenate. Like whatever people think listening to this, in my humble opinion, we've done a lot to like extract from our planet and we need to give back. Like we need to give mother nature a break. Like she's been working really hard to make our lives really easy. Like if you want an Amazon package on her door in 24 hours, something else is going to happen on the other side of that. Like that level of convenience is not how we were built. We were a bipedal species that most studies tell us we're supposed to walk four to five miles a day. Mm -hmm. All right. That's how we evolved. So We've got to get back a little bit towards Mother Nature, and I believe that's crucial. And so I wanted to walk the walk on that front. I really, really did. So, you know, between the environment and, you know, wanting to make sure my my daughter can kind of grow up in this place and then just personally getting out of my comfort zone and just trying something new, those three things made it like, all right, let's let's take a crack at this. The pandemic let us rip off the Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. You know, Rupa, Rupa, my wife and I, we were about to – to start spending two weeks out of the city anyway at a farm in another part of Pennsylvania. And then we were like, you know what? We're not going to pay, pay rent for a New York City apartment that we can't live in because of this horrible pandemic. Let's just go for it. And so we found this house and we made an offer and we just, we just did it. You know, we just, we just did it. And so uh, here we are in, in a, a rural PA on this eight acre farm. And yeah, my whole life has changed. I think, I just think there are a lot of different ways to live in this world. I do think that urbanization and building cities out of massive amounts of concrete are very difficult places to make environmental arguments from. <laughs> I, have, I have a whole perspective on the hypocrisy of God climate. Bless, God bless you. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It's, yeah. it's challenging. Listen, I also I got my issues with ag too, Jason, but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, but, yeah. I know. But I, 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 there, there's a hypocrisy, in my opinion, to, you know, being a climate activist sometime like listen you could be a climate activist in the city and work on the science and be dedicated it can't sure. be i'm not going to think about all that sure. but i think to be a, a casual climate activist while living in a city to me that's a total paradox like mm-hmm. those two things don't gel mm-hmm. so um i'm trying to walk the walk on that front and 
you know, we'll see. I might get scared and move back to New York City in five <laughs> years and you can interview me again. But I'm trying my best. <laughs> well, good for you. How far are you from New York City? Not that far, like hour and a half. Hour and a half. Okay. We're an hour, we're an hour from Philly, hour and a half from New York City. Okay. Um, but beautiful farm country all around us. Very woodsy near us too. Um it's a, it's a real diverse group, you know, like even politically, like during the election cycle here last year, like, you know, every other house was a different sign. And I was like, cool. I was like, oh, that's I, interesting. I, I did that. Yeah, that, that's that's America. You know? Well, I mean, that's, and it is, I mean, diversity, you said it earlier, diversity is built on a lot of things, diverse in race, diverse in thought. I, I, I am a huge proponent of diver of multifaceted diversity and yeah. I, because again you said it that's what america has been and i see why you enjoy new york city why you enjoyed growing up there because it is that that is what new york city is all about um but i think if we really put a uh, you know put a magnifying glass on it america as a whole is like that there's a lot of diverse thought that actually does happen even yeah. in rural areas um and i find that very compelling yeah, I mean, listen, people read, read a little bit less now. And so it's hard to have nuance over screens as much as it is when you read. It takes a lot of thinking and reflection to see multiple perspectives. You have to sit and reflect. Um, and it's harder when like a screen or a news station is telling you what to think mm -hmm. to have that reflective moment. And so, you know, I always say to people like, when they, when they stop watching Silo, like don't look at your phone right away. Like when I finish watching a movie or a TV show that's impacted me, my wife and I have a rule, like we don't look at the phone. Yeah. We, we actually talk about it for a while sure. so that the nutrients of that, you know, whatever you want to call it, brain food, like can seep in. Like if you watch a really impactful movie, but you disrupt it by immediately reading a text or seeing news on your phone, it, it can't settle. Like your sure. brain, the, the human brain doesn't really function that way. Like we're not capable of, of handling this much stimulus. It's, right. it's not how we were built. We, right. we need base we really do it, we, yeah we can't evolve as fast as we're uh as fast as technology is is evolving i totally that's exact my wife always says my wife you know we talked about you know rupa before in terms of what she does she she runs this program that teaches children the value of physical fitness and emotional fitness and it's like super holistic and easy to do and it's you know it's just really really practical but she always says to me like we've evolved physically at an incredible rate in this as a species like we are curing diseases we are going to mars like we're killing it but our emotional evolution is much slower sure. much slower. so we have to there's like this disconnect between those two we have to give ourselves time to breathe and reflect and allow information to settle before we form an opinion the challenge about mm. social media and all this stuff is we amplify our thoughts before we've fully formed our opinions. Right. And so we're amplifying before analyzing. And like my late grandpa used to say, make sure your brain is in gear before your mouth is in motion. And I find like our brain is not in gear before our little fingertips on yeah. Twitter are in motion oh. a lot of the time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. <laughs> well, man, this has been great. Uh, I think I might have enjoyed this one more than even more than the first time. So. <laughs> This was well. Uh, we got we got we got mega philosophical. I knew we, we were did. Have to that's great. Podcast I've had <laughs> you're you're about the 
sixth or se- I can't remember seventh person who's been back on the podcast and mm. every single one of them the second time has been better like I've enjoyed it even more so uh, I appreciate you where can people find you online and finding all the all the stuff silo and and beyond well, so we've canceled all of our social media. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, well, well, first of all, thanks for having me on again and for you know allowing me to just sort of philosophize. But I, I think, you know, these are important dialogues. They affect everybody in and outside of ag. Um, and I think it's good that we have them. Uh, but uh, Silo, you know, the best place to go right now is silothefilm.com. Uh, S-I-L-O-T-H-E-F-I-L-M.com. Silo the Film. You can watch the movie immediately on the website you can order a dvd you can host a screening at lo- your local movie theater or your local ffa chapter or high school auditorium you can even go to a movie theater the movie's out in theaters for a little bit longer and then if you scroll about on the page all the social media is there it's basically at silo the film everywhere at silo the film one on facebook but silo the film.com and you know we've got a lot going on, on the website we're doing a really cool new project next month uh, with Easton Corbin, who wrote an original country music song for the film. Right. Jason, you're going to like this one. I'll, I'll tell you more about it. It's going to be awesome. So we're doing some new content coming up soon to promote the movie and to promote his song. Uh, so just keep an eye out for it. But again, th- thanks for having me. And thanks you know, for, to your listeners for, for tuning in. Yeah, man. Well, absolutely. I, 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 it's a pleasure, as always, to speak to you. And uh, I obviously, we're going to talk again. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one. All right, bud. All right, guys. Thanks for sticking around. This Thursday, June 9th, we are having a room on Clubhouse where we're talking about bringing men to the mental health conversation in agriculture. If you don't know what Clubhouse is, um, it's kind of like an interactive discussion uh, it's like it's like social media, but with your voice <laughs> instead of hiding behind a screen or or words it's it's a great place to get really interactive conversations so um the uh, it's actually a part of the farm wife club on clubhouse they were very gracious in inviting me in and having this discussion about mental health in agriculture really excited about this and if you want to find out more about this send me a dm on wherever you follow us and i can see about sending you an invite i've only got a couple of invites left that's the thing about clubhouse is clubhouse is by invite only so um i i will send out my last couple invites but i'll also see if there are other people who have invites that would like to share them so all right i appreciate you guys appreciate you sticking around to the end uh we'll see you next week thanks for listening to ag state of mind we hope this episode has encouraged you be sure to follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at ag state of mind And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.